0: Do you have a hobby, sport, or activity that you really love? Now, you don't have to answer that out loud, but I want you to think in your mind, what, what, what is there something specific in your life that you really love? And so think about that, and let me ask you a question about that particular thing. What do you love about it? And why do you love it? You have to have a reason for loving something, whether it be a particular activity that you enjoy, you're hiking, whatever, I understand, Nancy, you're going hiking soon, so I'm assuming you like hiking, maybe, yes, no, yes, okay, Dave doesn't like it, but Nancy does, okay, so uh, there's a reason why Nancy loves hiking, I'm sure she would be glad to share it with you after we're done, and we can all call her crazy for doing it. Um, for me, one of the hobbies uh, that I love to do, and I've shared this before, is officiating sports. Uh, Got started way back, actually in high school, my senior year of high school. Got started in that a little bit and then did it in college um, for a few years and then had to take a break with grad school and such. Got back into it after that and I really love it. Uh, I love to go out on a field or a court and uh, officiate a game, whether it be um, baseball, softball, football, or basketball. I I have the opportunity uh, in the next few weeks, starting probably toward the end of the month, uh, to help out with officiating the junior high and JV baseball and softball games here in town at the high school. So I'm looking forward to that. But there's a couple reasons why I do it. And number one is because I love sports. I love to play. I played in college, played in high school. So I, I'm a sports guy. And so that really kind of thrills me. I don't get involved in the statistics and the records and such. Um, but I just love sports. And the second reason I do it is I want others to have the same opportunity that I did to compete when I was in high school and college. You know, and and as a side note, we're seeing more and more of a decline for officials, and and so I'm always encouraging people to consider that because I want young people to be able to play games and to be involved in competitive sports. I think that's very helpful uh, in development and in just having an outlet for uh, activity and such. Well, we come to a passage this morning where we find someone that is in need of loving. And gentlemen, that is our wives. And so it's our turn, guys, to bear the implications of Scripture. A couple of weeks ago, it was the wives. Gals, you got three verses. And guys, we get about eight or nine. So there's, there's a seriousness to this. And so... What I would challenge you from Scripture this morning as we lay it out for us is that husbands, in our marriages, we are to show that we are new in Christ by loving our wives. That's what this, all this section has been about, going back to chapter 4, verse 1. Walking worthy of the calling. How do we do that? As we, as we walk as children of light, as we walk in wisdom, as we in our in our relationships, ladies, you submit to your husbands and, and respect him and so forth. Now, guys, we, we love our wives, and that shows that we are new in Christ. And suddenly you say, Pastor, well, well, how do I do that? How do I love my wife as Christ loved the church? This says in verse 25. I, I would like to give you two strategies and two reminders. Okay? Two strategies and two reminders. My wife kind of made fun of me the other day. She said, "You know, a couple of weeks ago, you gave me command. You gave us commands. Why are you giving the guys strategies?" And I said, "There's a reason for it, and you'll see it. I hope here this morning. The first strategy is that you love her unconditionally and consistently." Now, now let me just stop and say uh, that this strategy is for married men. Okay. Now. this is the context with which we're dealing with. The, the, The word husbands coupled with the word wives leads us to conclude this is talking about married relationship. And this is just the natural progression of things as Paul has been talking about the household and what does being new in Christ look like in a household environment. Now, this is not to say that there's uh, not application for the rest of us, there are. Ladies, you'll, you'll get something at the end of uh, verse 33 in regards to your marriage. But, and, and there'll be other points where, uh, for those of you who are not married, you can find some application. But, but you love her unconditionally and consistently. Notice with me also that loving your wife is a command to obey, Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Again, this word is an imperative. There is no option here. And so, when confronted with the truth of God's word, men, as husbands, we have two options. In an optionless command, we can either obey or disobey. And I think we can see clearly for, from Scripture when we read, from, as Les read from Deuteronomy chapter 30. There is life and death. There are consequences for disobedience. And God has set that clearly before us. And so we're to love our wives. And, and the word itself is a present tense verb, meaning that is to be consistently obeyed. We do not get a t- to take a day off from loving our wives, guys. It's to be done from day to day, whether you and I feel like it or not. Even when things have been going rough, even though when time uh, has passed and things aren't as what they used to be, perhaps, perhaps there's just some struggles and stuff there, it's still supposed to be our command to obey, to love our wives and, and do things for her. What does that word love mean? It means that you love your wife by putting her first without any prerequisites, without any prerequisites. The word love here means to sacrifice one's own interests and desires for the interests and desires of someone else. In this case, guys are wives. The, the, the picture is totally ignoring yourself, your wants, your desires, your needs, so that you can uplift the one that you love. Jesus kind of laid down the example for that in John 15:13. Where he said, greater love has no one than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. That's the idea. It's laying down your priorities, your wants, your desires, so that her wants and desires can be fulfilled. And the word also itself emphasizes the lack of merit required for that expression, One commentator put it this way, the command entails the husband's responsibility regardless of his wife's behavior, health condition, appearance, or any other potential deterrent. So to sum that up, there is no escape clause to to the command to love your wife. And unfortunately, in our world today, even among believers, there is always this temptation and the carrying out of it, in fact, where men have escaped that command and sought to escape it, saying, giving excuses. Well, she doesn't love me anymore, and so I'm not supposed to love her back. Or, you know, she's, she's gotten really, really, she's really changed in her character and behavior, and I, I just can't deal with that anymore. And so I'm going to off to find greener pastures. That is not who we are in Christ. We are to love our wives regardless of how she's feeling, how she's acting, and, and to be sure, there are tough days. There are days where, where we uh, struggle in our marriages to love our wives, but yet we're supposed to do it. My wife is grinning back there, and I better be careful what I say. Um, but there are, there are tough days, aren't there? You're two sinners living together in the same house, and those sinful natures can be displayed from time to time, but that is no excuse do not love your wife, guys, as we're supposed to do, putting her interests, her desires, ahead of yours. So it's a command to obey. It's, it, is, it is something that we're supposed to do without any qualifications or pre-qualifications. And please also notice that loving your wife has a standard to uphold. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That phrase, just as, is, is denotes the standard of our love. It's, it's to be similar, if not completely identical, to the love of Christ for his church. I kind of liken it to um, this commercial that ran back in the early... Does anybody remember the Be Like Mike commercial for Gatorade back in the early 90s? I want to be like Mike. Nobody? Nobody? Early 90s, come on, it's okay to say how old you are by raising your hand, okay? Back in the early 90s, 1992, I believe it was, uh, Gatorade ran a commercial called Be Like Mike. And the idea was that Michael Jordan, the supreme basketball star, in my opinion, the greatest basketball star ever, um, drank Gatorade and, and played basketball, and you should do the same. You should aspire to that, to be like Mike. And so... In some way, what, God, what Paul is saying here is be like Christ. Guys, in our marriages, we need to be like him, having the same standard of love. And how was that love shown? That love was shown through the cross. We just celebrated a few moments before. The cross highlighted the love of God and, his, and the resurrection confirmed that. In verse, chapter 5, verse 2, Paul, of Ephesians, Paul says, And walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Here the word gave means to convey something in which one has a relatively strong personal interest. In other words, Christ willingly gave himself for the church because of his interest in her, namely his love. He died for the sake of, for the benefit of, Because he was interested in her. He loved her. He loved you and me so much that he died on a cross, John 3.16. Guys, that's a standard of love that we need to attain to in our marriages. And some of you say, well, pastor, that's hard. Yeah, I know it's hard. It's difficult. But that does not negate the responsibility. Even though it would seem that the love of Christ for his church is a hard thing to replicate, it still does not negate our responsibility to do so. Christ gave himself on a cross so that his bride could be free from sin and could be restored to himself forever. It is that same love that should propel us to love our wives. Even as we think together as we are one in the body of Christ, Christ died for her and is now... Uh, uplifting her up, we should do the same. Which is unfortunate because not a lot of, uh, of, of Christians view it as today, as such. They think loving their wife is again an option and it's not something that, it, it's, it's to their standard, to their way of thinking, to their way of practice and that's not the case. We, we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Please note something about this love of Christ for the church. It purposely transforms her to be pure and holy for himself. Verses 26 and 27 kind of lay out the explanation of of giving uh, himself for her, why he did it. Why did Christ do it? That he might sanctify and cleanse her by the washing of the word. The word that shows purpose here. The love of Christ has always been intentional for the church. He means to set her apart. That's the idea of the word sanctify. It's dedicating someone to the service of God, and here God, Christ is dedicating us to himself. And not only dedicating us to himself, but cleansing us. The word cleanse here has the idea of to purify. And the washing of water here uh, signifies the means and how that happens. And it's a metaphorical usage here, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with a washing of water by the word. Now that phrase, washing of water by the word, needs to be taken separately. So the washing of water is a metaphorical description of the death and resurrection of Christ. This is how the church is cleansed or purified, through his truth. By the word refers to the word of Christ. So let me kind of sum it up for us here. The church has been cleaned through the truth of Christ's death and is continuing to be purified through the proclamation of God's word. Okay, so the church has been saved by the blood of Christ, washing of water, and is continually being purified because we still need it. We're still sinners by the word of Christ. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've been saved by the blood of Christ through, as the body of Christ, but we are also continually purified by the word of Christ, looking at his word as we're doing this morning, as we've done and continue to do cleanses us, changes us from the inside out to be more like him. And Paul highlights the purifying process of the church will culminate with her presentation to Christ in holiness and purity. That he might present himself, verse, 20, verse 27, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Two words that he Paul uses here spot or wrinkle. The word spot means to be a stain or a blemish. It was used in ancient literature to refer to a blood stain, something that you couldn't get out. Wrinkle here refers to the imperfections of age. Some of you, and most of us this morning, have wrinkles. And that's just the natural progression of age. You shouldn't feel bad about them. It shows that you, you have a maturity behind you, and it's just with the, the passing of age, the wrinkles come on your skin. But there's one day coming where the church will be made perfect. She will not have no stains, no wrinkles, no imperfections, so that we might be presented to the church gloriously. The idea of the word glorious is, is an inherent quality, not, orient, uh, not an ordinary quality, So Christ is is changing us, sanctifying us, purifying us so that we can present it to himself in a glorious condition that we once did not have. And so that leads me to ask the question this morning, if Christ puts this much effort into loving his bride, which includes us husbands, should we not have the same motivation to love our wives and put in the same effort? Yeah, Christ does this for us. And at the very least, that is a small reflection, a small motivation for us to do the same to our wives. No, we're not going to cleanse and sanctify her and purify her and all these different things, but we can love her as we are called to do. And Christ is doing so much more in that process. We, at the very least, should do and find motivation in that. So that leads me to ask this question. Guys, this past week, did you love your wife consistently and unconditionally? Yes, she may have done things that ticked you off, that made you upset, that just got really underneath your skin. But in that moment, did you still love her? Did you still put her desires and wants and interests ahead of yourself? Did you do it consistently? Did you not take a day off during the week and just decide, you know what, I'm done? I'm not going to do that. We are called to love our wives consistently and unconditionally, whether we feel like it or not. And that just kind of leads me to ask generally, brothers and sisters in Christ, are we thankful to our God for loving us unconditionally and consistently? That even as He has, he has saved us by His blood, He is still purifying us by his word. Aren't you thankful that God doesn't give up on you? He still loves you. He still seeks your best interest. And it's not that reason enough to praise him that he still loves us and has shown his love in so many different ways. Second strategy I have for us this morning I think Paul highlights, is that you work at loving your wife. Verses 28-30. through 30, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Notice again that this is an obligation to fulfill. Ought. The idea of the word ought is, is requirement. And here the words to be under obligation is to meet certain social or moral standards. So, so not only is there a command to obey that doesn't have any options, there's an also an obligation to fulfill. So, so the two kind of go, go in in hand in hand. And I think Paul uses this to show that loving one's wife is serious business. It cannot be taken lightly. You know, I, I kind of... Uh, draw the illustration of of our requirements at a job. When you you worked in the past, I know many of you were retired, you had different requirements for your job. And if you did not meet those requirements, guess what? You were probably soon out of a job. And you had to go find somewhere else to work because you didn't meet those requirements. That's what had to happen for you to be paid and be uh, compensated for your work. And so, not that you should view your marriage relationship as a job, but still, you should take it as seriously. And again, the word ought has a present tense behind it. It means it's this continual effort. You're in a continual state of loving your wife. You're obligated to do so all the time. Notice also that Paul says that love in marriage is exclusive So husbands ought to love their own wives. That phrase negates loving other wives or other women outside the marriage relationship. Guys, we as husbands are responsible for loving our own wives. We do not bear the responsibility of other marriages, but we are solely accountable for our own. The writer of Hebrews warns about this. He says, marriage is honorable among all and bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. We have no business putting our noses into other marriages. We need to be responsible for our own. And again, we live in a world today where sadly in the Christian church, there are those husbands who have gotten involved in other marriages, who have made other marriages their business when they have no right to be there. So love in your marriage is exclusive. Make sure it's for your own wife and not someone else's. Notice also that the same level of care for the husband's body must be shown in loving his wife as their own bodies. Again, gives the pattern for the the husband to follow. He is to love himself. He is to love his wife as he loves himself. I think what Paul is doing here is he is using that phrase, he who loves his wife loves himself, to show what that looks like. And perhaps... He has in mind Leviticus 19.18, which says, You shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So what is Paul doing here? He's using logic to reinforce his argument. You love your wife as yourself. The two go together. And to back that up, he says in verse 29, For no, one, no one ever hated his own flesh. But nourishes and cherishes it. The word hated here means to have strong aversion to yourself. Generally speaking, no one hates their body, right? No one takes, takes uh, generally speaking, takes intentional effort to hate themselves. It's too easy to love yourself. And, and, and Paul says, no one hates themselves, but they instead. Care for themselves. There's two words he uses there: nourishes and cherishes. The word nourishes means to provide food. So the idea is providing for oneself. The word cherish here means to, to care for. Paul uses it in 1 Thessalonians 2:7 when he says, But we are gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. We care for ourselves, we provide for ourselves. And that is the standard, that is the, the pattern to follow when loving our wives as we are providing for ourselves. We realize that that is the same level of care we should have for our wives. Providing for them, taking, taking um, care of them. And, and we could go, that looks different ways. That could be making sure she takes a night out with friends. Making sure she, she is provided for in... in uh, basic needs. It also looks like making sure she's spiritually taken care of. That's a crucial factor in her life. And notice also we have, a, we have a, a, a model to follow as well. Christ applies the same effort to the church. But just as, in verse 29, just as the Lord does the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. So that phrase just as heightens the husband's love for his wife to rival the care and nurture Christ has for his bride, the church. It's not just not basic care. This is intentional care. This is all-encompassing care The guys we are to have for our wives. And why does Christ do that for us? Because we are members of his body. He takes care of those who are his. And so I asked the question, why should husbands do anything less for their wives when Christ does so much more for them in his body? Guys, you realize that you as a believer in Jesus Christ, God does so much for you in his body. He provides for you. He cares for you in in, in ways that we cannot even imagine. So why why are we doing less for our wives? Why should we have a lower standard when Christ has such a high standard for us? Is it hard? Is it difficult? Yeah, because you're battling yourself. You're battling temptation to not love your wife. That is no less a requirement for us to love our wives as ourselves because of what Christ love and care for us. That is a motivation. That is an inspiration for us to do so. So husbands, can I ask you, are you exerting yourself in loving your wife? Are you working at it? Are you trying, making the effort? Even though you, you feel like you want to quit and give up? Are you making the effort to love your wife even though it may not be returned? And that's hard. When you you got married, you you pledge yourself to one another and to love one another in sickness and in health and all those different things. But what happens when that person doesn't return it? You still love her, guys. You still make the effort to love her. And church, can you also look at this and see the love that Christ has for you? Christ cares and provides for you. Somebody saying, "Well, pastor, I don't feel like it." Well, regardless of whether you feel like it or not, he still does it. He still provides and cares for you. And again, is that not, not reason enough to praise him? Third, now we get into the reminders. First reminder: You are united together, verses thirty-one and thirty-two. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh union is a result of marriage paul quotes genesis 224 leaving and cleaving right the word leave means to depart from a place with implication of finality when you got married you left your family and joined with your spouse you relinquished your primary allegiance to your parents and now you transferred it to your spouse your mate And you were joined together. The idea of the word joined is to adhere closely. The idea is joining, uh, in the ancient literature it was used to describe gluing metals together with each metal still holding its attributes. And so it is in marriage. The husband and wife come together to form a new entity and yet they still retain their individual characteristics Notice that unity also goes beyond physical. It's not just a physical unity coming together as one, one flesh. There's also spiritual and emotional harmony as well. You're joined together, you're one. In some small way, this union in marriage is a picture of the union of Christ and his church. Paul says in verse 32 this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul's used the word mystery before. And, and here, here, here's where the kind of the rub is. What is the mystery? Commentators differ. You look at the different commentators. Okay, what is the mystery marriage? Is the mystery Christ and his church? I think the evidence would lead us to conclude, based upon context and, and how Paul uses the word mystery here and in other places, that he's talking about the mystery of the picture of the union between Christ and his church. So what is, what is mysterious is not human marriage, but the union between Christ and the church. And the mystery is great, not in content, but in significance. This is, this is truly a profound thing to, hold, to behold, that in some way, our marriages reflect the union of Christ and his church. It's just mind-boggling to think that God uses human marriage to give us a picture of Christ and his church. Though imperfect, we are. This rather is a revelation that Paul had that he wants to explain. This isn't something that God God, uh, hid in time past and now revealed as we we discussed in Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 3. How that by the revelation he made known to you the mystery Okay? That's not, that's not what this is. The mystery is just this, this something that has never been thought of before. Now Paul reveals that. That in some way, our union together is a picture of the union of Christ and His church. Truly profound to think about. And it's such a, a great motivation. And if I'm united to my wife as I am, and that pictures in some imperfect way the union of Christ and his church, shouldn't I treasure it more than I do? That Jesus died for his bride and he's united with her and I in some way portray that in my marriage. And that leads me to ask a question and in general as well here this morning for both husbands and wives, are you being united in your marriages? You came together at whatever point in time, made commitments to one another. Are you being united together, in unity? No, you don't have to agree on everything. We all know that there's those clash of opinions, but you're still supposed to be united because you are one before God. So is there unity in your marriages, or is there disunity? Is there struggle? And for us as a church can we not praise God that in some way we can, we can look at our marriages today and realize that, that what we have with God is so much better. That we are united with him. We're not separate from him. We're not, he's, he's not in heaven just kind of waiting on us and we're not here and down here waiting on him. We're together. We're united together as one. And is that not reason enough to praise him? Then last reminder for us this morning. You have a responsible, responsibility to each other. Verse 33, nevertheless. So Paul's, Paul's like to do rabbit trails, and this is one of them, verses 31 and 32. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, And let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we have the two responsibilities here. That loving your wife must be carried out, guys. Again, this is a command. Paul's using this. He's repeating what he said back in verse 25 as, as a reminder. Okay, getting back to the end of the point. Let each one of you in particular, and he's addressing each one, love his own wife. We're to obediently and consistently do this. And he gets, he gets personal now. He's just talked to husbands in general in verse 25. But that phrase, let each one of you, is Paul getting personal with each one of us as husbands. We each have this responsibility. No husband is left out. We are to love our wives as ourselves. That's a standard we're to hold our love for a wife to. Am I loving my wife just as I love myself? That's the test. Guys, we get up every morning, let's give ourselves that test. Am I going to love my wife this morning as I love myself? That's a level we're to go to. And then secondly, the wife is to reverent, re, reverently respect her husband. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. So he's kind of wrapping up here. But he also has instruction for you ladies in your marriages. That the word respect here means to have a profound measure of respect. The word here is fear, but it's not a fear based on a sense of terror. Okay? We, we all know that happens. We have fear that comes from terror. We're, we're afraid of what might happen in a car accident to us. We're afraid of, of uh, perhaps uh, what happens when certain things come about in, in life. But this is fear based upon respect for the position of the husband as the head of the wife. 1 Peter 3, 1-2, through 2, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that if some do, even if some do not obey the word, that they without word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Respect. So respect your husband as his, his position is, as your head this is a present tense, again, verb. Something we're to consistently do, ladies. Is that easy? No. Is that hard? Yes. But yet it's commanded. The, the word here, that, okay? To simplify it, the grammar here, although it's a present tense verb and it's just a, a common verb, the idea of the grammar is that it's also a command. Ladies, there's no option for you. You you are to reverently respect your husband, no matter his attitude, character, or mindset. That regardless of what he does, even though it might tick you off, even though you might be upset and, and frustrated with him, you're still supposed to respect him as the position that he holds in your marriage. So that leads me to ask this question to both of us, both husbands and wives. Are you being responsible in your marriages? Are you fulfilling your roles? Guys loving our wives and putting them ahead of ourselves. Loving them as Christ loved the church. And ladies, are you respecting your husband? Even though he might struggle with that position. Are you still respecting him? Loving our wives, men, is our highest calling. In a world where this truth is easily lost and misguided, I would challenge us to let us be the ones who stand out by loving our wives. How do we do that? We love them unconditionally. You love her unconditionally and consistently. You work at loving her, and, and you're reminded in the process that you are united together. You are one. And you have a responsibility to each other. So guys, in particular, this week in our marriages, may God help us to be loving our wives just as he called us to.